new movie comes out, people will go to great lengths to make sure that they don't see any spoilers about the movie if it's one that they're really interested in, right? You'll even see people that are walking into the theater with with headphones on so that they don't hear any chatter from people that are walking out of the theater and they don't learn anything about the ending or, or anything of that nature. Sometimes people do the same thing with sports. Maybe there's a, a ball game that you're interested in, in watching, but you had some other obligation, and so you record it, and as you're on your way home, you're trying to avoid all the news outlets, you're turning off all the notifications on your phone so that there's no way that you'll see what the score is uh, before you get home and you can watch it yourself and see how things work out. But what if you had a sneak peek of the outcome? You know, what if, what if you knew how things were going to work out? How would that change how you watched the game or how you prepared for the movie? Over this pandemic, ESPN hasn't had anything to show, and so they've been showing a lot of old ball games on there. And so I've been watching some old ball games, and I've watched this one game in particular a couple of times over this pandemic. It was the 20th. 18 national championship game between Alabama and Georgia and so when you when you watch this game it's it's a it's a game that is going not very well for Alabama the whole first half it's I mean Georgia's just outplaying us and at halftime coach Saban makes a big adjustment he 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 benches his starting quarterback uh, Jalen Hurts and he brings in Tua Tonga Valoa who had never really played uh, and puts him in at quarterback and Tua uh, goes through the game and, and everything starts to pick back up and, and Alabama gets back into the game and, and you get down to the very end and Alabama's driving, uh, down toward the, with the game tied and, and, and they're, they're like, you know, like maybe the 20 or 30 yard line. And then the Alabama kicker comes up and you know what Alabama kickers do, right? He shanked a, a chip shot field goal that would have won the ball game. And as Alabama fans, we kind of get used to that, and, and we know that it was coming all along, but he missed this field goal that would have won the national championship game. And I can remember when I was watching this game, I mean, I was so, so mad. I was like, how, I mean, how could you miss? The, I, I felt like I could have gone to kick this field goal. It was that close. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it was just bad. And so then overtime happens, and uh, Georgia... They have a really good field goal kicker. He gets out there, he kicks a field goal from like 45, 50 yards out, just nails it. And uh, so we know that we've got a score when it's our turn to, to have the ball. And very first play, Tua gets sacked. It's second and 26, right? And when you're watching this, you're just, I mean, I, you almost want to just turn the TV off. It just, this is not going to be any good. Except that I know what's about to happen. On this very next play, Tua steps back, he looks to the right, and he throws a bomb down the left sideline to Devontae Smith, and he catches it in the end zone to score a touchdown to win the national championship game. Now, when I watch the game now, and I see them miss a field goal, it's like, ah, it'll be all right. When I watch the game now, and he gets sacked, I go, it's going to be okay, because I know how this is going to end. Well, in our passage today, the three innermost disciples get a sneak peek of the glorified Christ. 
They see what the ending is going to be like. They see Jesus exalted before them. And this picture ought to help them through the tough times. This picture of Jesus high and lifted up ought to, ought to encourage them through the trials and, and in the valleys because they see that they can trust unsure times to a sure Savior. Did you hear me? You can trust unsure times to a sure Savior. So if you have your Bibles this morning, stand with me in honor of God's word. If you're able, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 17, reading verses 1 through 9. We're continuing our series called On the Mountains, where we're looking at these mountaintop experiences in Jesus' life and ministry and learning from them. And today we're on the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17, verse 1, the word of God says, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured in front of them, and his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you want, I will set up three shelters here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down and were terrified. And Jesus came up, touched them and said, get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus alone. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, don't tell anyone about the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Thank you. You may be seated. Today, as we look at this passage of Scripture, I want us to examine the the wonder of Christ and the worship of Christ in this passage. And so we begin with the wonder of Christ. And in verse 2, Matthew tells us that Jesus was transfigured in front of them. That means to, to change figures in front of them. And it says that his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. And so Matthew, Luke, all these gospel writers are trying to describe something that's basically indescribable here. Uh, they're, they're saying that his face was shining like the sun. This is a white that is so bright that it's like light shining. In fact, the, the Greek word that he uses there refers to this dazzling, brilliant white. It's an otherworldly white. I like how Mark describes it in Mark chapter 9, verse 3. He says that his clothes became dazzling, extremely white, as no launderer on earth could whiten them. Right? He says that there isn't a, a launderer anywhere around that can get your clothes as white as this color is that was emanating from Jesus. And when you see white garments in the scriptures, they signify purity. They signify holiness. And so in this transfiguration, we are seeing the purity of Christ. We are seeing the holiness of Christ. We are seeing that he is different from us, that he is other, that he is divine, that he is eternal, that he is transcendent, that he is majestic, 
that he's perfect and holy. And this extreme, dazzling white of Christ is contrasted with mankind, with Peter and James and John that are there in front of him, with me and with you. We are sinful and blemished. We don't possess righteousness like this on our own. The closest picture that we get to something like this is from the Old Testament in the book of Exodus chapter 34 and verse 29 when it's talking about Moses coming down off of Mount Sinai after he had received the Ten Commandments from the Lord. And it says, as Moses descended from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands as he descended the mountain, he did not realize that the skin of his face shone as a result of his speaking with the Lord. So when Moses came down, his face was glowing because of his being in God's presence. But there's a huge difference between these two passages. On Sinai, Moses' face is shining, it says, because the glory of the Lord had shone upon him and had changed his face. In this passage, the glory is coming from within Jesus and is shining out onto the others. He is the one who possesses the glory and the holiness. He is the one who is righteous. And the others here in this passage appear in glory or in splendor because of Jesus. And that's exactly how the righteousness of Christ operates. Jesus is the the atonement for our sin. We're sinful, but, but he is holy and He's able to stand as a substitutionary atonement on our behalf. No launderer on earth can get rid of the stains of our sin. But the good news is that our launderer isn't from this earth. He's the son of God who is sent from heaven to save us and to cleanse us. And his righteousness is credited to us. And through faith in him, we become holy because he is holy. And so here in this, in this story, in verse 3, it says, Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Can you imagine this scene? I mean, this is one of, the, one of my favorite stories. And when people ask you questions like, Hey, if there was ever a, pic, a, a story that you could be a part of or want to see in the Bible, this is one of the stories for me. I would love to see this. Jesus and Moses and Elijah just having a little chat there, it says. Just talking. I wonder what they were talking about. Luke tells us in his gospel, if you look in Luke chapter 9, verse 31, it says, they appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. And so Luke says, that they're speaking about Jesus' departure. And that includes all of the events that are about to happen in Jerusalem. How Jesus is going to be arrested and tried, how he's going to be persecuted and crucified, how he's going to be buried, how he's going to be raised from the dead, how he's going to ascend to be with the Father. In other words, Jesus is having a chat with Moses and Elijah about the gospel. Can you imagine being a witness to this? to Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus about the gospel. The Bible says that this is something that the angels of heaven long to look into. 
That this gospel is, is good news that would shake the entire world. That God the Son would come to earth to deal with the fall, to overturn sin, to reverse the curse, to show his amazing love to you. That's what they're talking about. What an incredible scene. Because Moses and Elijah had written about this Messiah that would come. They had put their faith and their trust in this Messiah to come. And now they're standing here with him. And all of the scriptures find their fulfillment in Jesus the Christ. And you look in Galatians 3 verse 24, it says, The law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 says, The Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant that you delight in. See, he is coming, says the Lord of armies. Isaiah 53 verses 5 and 6 say, He was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We've all turned to our own way, but the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Luke 24, 27 tells us that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. You see, the prophets, the law, they were looking to this day. They were looking to Jesus. They were pointing to the Christ who would come in humility and in obedience. They were pointing to the Christ who would suffer many things and be rejected and who would be crucified, but would be raised up on the third day as our victorious warrior and would stand tall as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Do you see the wonder of Christ? This is something that's too amazing to behold. I mean, just close your eyes for a minute and imagine this. Jesus exalted in front of them. He's from before all time, yet he condescends to be Emmanuel, God with us. He's all powerful, yet he humbles himself and becomes obedient to death. He's all knowing, but he came to earth to suffer the sins of the world. He's perfect, yet he received the wrath of God's punishment for our wickedness. He's fully God and fully man. He's the eternally divine member of the Holy Trinity. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the great I am. He's the wonderful counselor. He's the prince of peace. He's the good shepherd. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the bread of life. He's giving us living water so that we'll thirst no more. He's the powerful healer. He's a great provider. Oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth what is man that you're mindful of him as high as the heavens are above the earth so high are your ways above our ways the earth will be filled with the glory of the lord like the water covers the seas the mountains quake before him the hills melt and the earth trembles at his presence see your savior high and lifted up behold the wonder of christ that's what they saw that day. And when you see the wonder of Christ, the only proper response is to fall before him in worship. 
In verse 4, Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. That's the understatement of the year, right? <laughs> he sees it, Lord, it's good to be here. He says, I'm going to set up three shelters here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He wants to have a worship service and just kind of hang out here for a little while. Luke tells us in Luke chapter 9, verse 33, he gives us a little uh, caveat there. He says, as the two men were departing from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And this is what Luke adds, not knowing what he was saying. <laughs> he says, Peter didn't really, he didn't really know what he was saying. Because there's only one person in that triumvirate who was worthy of worship. And that's what God is about to teach these disciples. Verses five and six, it says, while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down and were terrified. This is about the moment that, that Peter was trying to grab those words and pull them right back inside of his mouth, right? If this, is, if this event is, is anything like when God descended on Mount Sinai to speak with Moses, then this would have been a terrifying moment. If you look in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 19, in verse 18, this is how it's described when God came and met with Moses on the mountain. It says, Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord came down on it in fire. Its smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain shook violently. As the sound of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in the thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai at the top of the mountain and the Lord summoned Moses to the top of the mountain and he went up. Think about that picture. The smoke and the thunder and the shaking of the mountain. They said that, that's what happened when God came and met with, with Moses there. Here it tells us that the, the glory of the Lord was so overwhelming that the disciples fell down afraid on the ground. And God gave his disciples clear instruction from the cloud. As the Father speaks to them, it's obvious that Jesus is different from Moses and Elijah. These two men are servants of God, but Jesus is the son of God. He's the chosen one. Now, I mean, if you were going to make a Mount Rushmore of Judaism, then these two men's faces would certainly be on the mountain. But the father says, this is my son. And he's greater than Moses. This is my chosen one. And he's greater than Elijah. Listen to him. And these words are reinforced by what they're seeing in front of them. In verses 7 and 8 it says, Jesus came up and he touched them and said, Get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus alone. So what happened? Moses and Elijah faded away and only Jesus remained. The law and the prophets found their fulfillment and he was standing before them. Matthew chapter 5 verse 17, Jesus says, Don't think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish but to fulfill them. 
In Hebrews chapter one and verse one, the Bible says, long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him the heir of all things, and he made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. See, in this transfiguration, Christ is exalted as our king. He's exalted as our Lord. He's exalted as our head. And he's worthy of all of our worship. Worthy of every song that we could ever sing. And so we worship Jesus because of who he is. All of the characteristics that, all the qualities that we've been describing. But we also worship him because of what he's done. I mean, that's all that Moses and Elijah wanted to talk about. Tell us about the cross. Tell us about the empty tomb, Jesus. Henry Clay Trumbull said, in the time of Jesus, the Mount of Transfiguration was on the way to the cross. But in our day, the cross is on the way to the Mount of Transfiguration. If you would be on that mountain, then you have to consent to pass over the road to it. So the Transfiguration was pointing the disciples to the suffering of Jesus when he would be arrested and beaten, when he would be mocked and spit upon, when he would be nailed to the cross, when he would pay for our sins. This moment was to carry them through. This sneak peek would let them know that everything would be all right. Remember who Jesus is. And the mountaintop will carry you through the valley because the God of the mountain is the God of the valley. And you seeing Jesus should strengthen you for the valleys as well. Because when you're having a tough day, you can remember that he is the king of kings. When you're struggling with doubt, you can remember that he is the Lord over all lords. When you're feeling worthless, you can remember that he is your creator. When you're feeling defeated, you can remember that he is a resurrected savior. When you're feeling alone, you can remember that he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. When you're feeling overwhelmed, you can remember that he's told us to cast all of our cares upon him. When you don't know what to do, you can remember that he's the all-wise king. And when you're facing tribulation in this world, remember that he has overcome this world. No matter what's happening in the world today, we know how the story is going to end. And you can trust unsure times to a sure savior. Christians, maybe today you're in some unsure times. Maybe you're down in the valley right now. I want you to remember the wonder of Christ. Remember who he is. Remember what he's done. And that you can trust unsure times to a sure savior. And so worship him today in the valley. In a moment, we're gonna have a time of response and it's an opportunity for you 
to obey what the Lord is saying in your heart today. And so maybe you want to spend some time here at this altar or even there in your seat or in your room, living room, wherever you're watching online, and just spend a few moments in prayer saying, God, I'm, I'm struggling right now. God, I'm going through unsure times, but I can trust unsure times to a sure Savior. There may be others this morning who need to trust in Jesus as Savior. Because what the disciples witnessed on the Mount of Transfiguration was a sneak peek of what's to come. One day, that exalted king is going to come riding on the clouds to take us to be with him. He's going to come and gather his church. And if you want to be a part of that great getting up morning, then you have to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You have to be cleansed by this pure, dazzling, white, brilliant Savior who offered himself pure and blameless on the cross for all the wrong things that you've done, all the wrong things that I've done. And he paid the price for him there in his death. When he rose from the dead, he conquered sin and hell and death for you and for me and for you so that today you can trust in him as your savior and you can uh, call on him as your Lord and as your king and as your master to follow after him. And today you can be born again. Today you can be saved and you can see this Jesus high and lifted up in your heart. So let's stand together for a word of prayer with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, we thank you for this time of worship. God, I pray, Lord, that over these next few minutes, Lord, that we would be attentive to your Holy Spirit's work in our hearts. Lord, may, Lord, as we think about where we are right now, maybe difficulties that we're facing, struggles, valleys, Lord, to realize that you are God in the valley just as you are God on the mountain and that we can trust these unsure times to a sure Savior. Lord, may we see you high and exalted today and worship you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, if there are any here that don't have that relationship with you, they don't know you as their Savior and as their Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would turn from their sin and trust in Jesus as their Savior. We ask these things in his name. Amen.